Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. I've never practiced Lent in my life. Uh, I grew up in a culture where uh, Lent was more of a legalistic you know, thing, you know, that people did for, for uh, you know, to try to make themselves good with God and make God good, you know, so that God would accept them. Another addition to, you know, uh, eventually I will do enough good that God will take me into heaven. And I didn't grow up in a culture that practiced Lent. And uh, so here I am, I'm speaking this morning on uh, Lent, and uh, a time for reflection. And uh, so I never practiced Lent. I've been saved for most of my life. I've been a preacher for 37 years. And you see, Pastor, you never did Lent? No. It wasn't part of our denominational thing that we did. And uh, although with some churches now, they're starting to practice Lent, and so, this is my first time ever even dealing with Lent. You'll have to forgive me. But as I was making preparation this week and uh, begin to do some research and begin to put this sermon together, I saw great value when we do it for the right purpose. And I will bring that out to you this morning. Lent, a time for reflection. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15, the prophet Isaiah, listen to what he says here. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I thought that was powerful. That in our time of reflection... Lent is a time for you and I to put aside the things of life that distract us from God, and there are plenty of them. We are more distracted in the time we live now than ever before, even though we've modernized ourselves so that we'd have more time to do fun things. And the more modern we seem to become, the more distracted we seem to become, and the harder it is to focus and have time to even enjoy family, let alone spending time alone with God. Sometimes I'm on Facebook, I see someone put something on there and said, this will tell if you're very old or not by, you know, if you use this. And they put things on that, like, uh, my wife still got in her cupboard. She still got in the house. We still use these things. You don't know what anxious, uh, uh, ancient things are. How many of you remember the old ringer washer? Okay, some of you do, right? If you had to only go back to that. Now, when I saw that come on Facebook uh, a few years ago, it's kind of start to appear on Facebook, and this will age you. Do you know what this is? Do you remember this? Well... My memory of a ringer washer was a gas-powered one. And people seem to say, I've never heard of that before. Yeah. When I was a little boy, about three or four years old, I remember enjoying going out on the step. In Newfoundland, is on the bridge. All right? Now, the step in your house is a bridge in Newfoundland. Going out on the bridge. 
And the, the wringer washer was there because it was a gas one. You couldn't have it in the house. It was out there, and it had this pedal that you, that you put your foot on if you were an adult. And you push it, and eventually the thing goes. And I remember as a child standing on that pedal, three years old, trying to get this wringer washer going. I didn't stand a chance. But now we've modernized and, you know, and so therefore we do things so quickly. But as I said, so many things distract us. And Lent is a season that you and I get to reflect. So I want to share this with you this morning. Lent, a time for reflection. One of the known results of a sincere focus during Lent it seems to be, to be the quality time alone with God that often brings us to a place of repentance. So I'm going to give you a funny story to start with this morning. A guy named Jock was a painter. And he often would water, no, I shouldn't say water down. He often would uh, 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 listen the qual- quantity of the paint by using turpentine. No, not turpentine. What is it? Yes, turpentine. And he would kind of really put a lot of turpentine in because it was a lot cheaper than the paint. So one day the church needed to be painted on the outside. So they put out a plea and for those who would make a bid. And whoever had the lowest bid always got the job. And Jock got the job to uh, paint the church. And sure enough, he put a lot of turpentine in it. And he was painting away, and uh, one day while he was on the scaffolding, the job was almost finished, and he heard a tremendous, horrendous clap of thunder, and the sky opened up, and a huge downpour of rain came down in the torrents, and it totally washed is paint off the church, knocked him off the scaffold. He was down there amongst the gravestones and everything else that surrounded the church. And uh, Jock knew he was, this has got to be a warning from God, <laughs> from the Almighty. So he got on his knees and he cried, Oh God, forgive me, what should I de- do? And from the thunder came a mighty voice, Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. You're going to see this morning that one of the things that comes out of a genuine Lent is repentance. Lent, I'm going to look at its roots for a moment and its value. I glean, this is amazing, the age that we live in. You talk about the age that we live in. How many of you heard about these bots, AIs, you know, the the AI chat and all this kind of stuff, where now you can actually go online, you have any question, you could take your phone in your hand, and you could say, I'm not going to say uh, uh, the Apple Watch girl that talks, I'm not going to say her name because she's going to come on, but you could say something and say, what, uh, uh, how does this work, or when did this happen? And immediately it will put together something for you. You can actually now, kids in school can ask this AI, I'm writing a essay on and say the topic, and that's all they have to do. And this thing will work behind the scenes for a few seconds, and all of a sudden it will glean information all from the, uh, for, throughout the world, and it will bring all that together and do their actual essay for them. And so to offset that, that, that someone had to invent one that can recognize if this has been written by an AI or not. 
I actually went online and I said, I must look to see if there's one for making sermons. I actually did. And sure enough, there is an AI for writing sermons. Now, I didn't try. I wanted to just for the fun of it, because I'm sure the spirit wouldn't be in it. But I wanted to try one. But every one I had to try, you had to pay first or sign up first. And I wasn't doing that. I was looking for a free one. But I did come across one that's not for a sermon, but I put in an AI. I asked for, in the AI, I asked for an article to define or do a sermon on Lent. All right? It came up with a spectacular article for me. It wasn't one that was, you know, that it had already in the database. It just finds out exactly your perspective and gives you what you need. And so the first paragraph of my sermon came from this AI. It's a period of reflection. I was amazed at what it actually told me because I thought it would be way off base. It's a period of reflection and spiritual growth leading up to Easter. A time to reflect on Jesus's, or Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection. It said, during the season, Christians practice self-denial, fasting, and prayer in order to draw closer to God. It is also a time to ponder the significance of his death and resurrection in our own lives. That came from an AI. That's just the first paragraph of a, a, a three-page article that it made up for me. That's amazing. I'm going to look at the history for a moment because I, I had never studied this. I'm going to look at the history. It was created at the Council of, of Nicaea in A.D. 325. All right. When St. August of Ippo came along, he was lived between 354 and 430, he wrote that our fast at any other time is voluntary, but he said, during Lent we sin if we do not fast. Whoa. So it went out to, you know, all those that were under the umbrella of being a Christian, say, and it was a must to fast. You had to fast or you were sinning. Wow. You will find the practice of Lent under Catholicism and also Protestant and Western Orthodox churches, but the particulars of what was required and the meaning changes under each of these. Our perspective is different. So this is my first time practicing in an actual Lent. My daughter Diana, who was on staff with me for 15 years, I know in the last three or four years while she was here, she gave up something for Lent. She practiced Lent. And I still didn't look into or inquire or do anything like that. And I know one year she gave up uh, uh, social media. Because it's anything that distracts you, number one. Secondly, then there's the idea, what can I do without as a sacrifice for God? But there is great value in the practice of Lent if done for the right reason. Is there anyone else here this morning like me have never done Lent? Was never part of your... Okay, right? I mean, I, this is the reason I'm doing this because we were not used to practicing Lent. Is there really any value in it, and there is. It's 40 plus days, and this year it starts this Wednesday, February the 22nd, until April the 6th, 44 days. 
Now, if you're going to fast like they did back in the days that I quoted earlier, you were only allowed to have bread. I know one was bread and salt. I don't know what bread and salt is supposed to do for you. You were allowed to have bread. You were allowed to have salt. That was it for 40 days. That was your Lent. Lent, first of all, is a time of reflection on Jesus. When you and I put extra time together, when you and I make a sacrifice of eliminating something from our time schedule so that we would have extra time to spend with Jesus. Now, when I was dating my wife, I always loved the extra time to hang out with my girlfriend because I was in love. Now, I've been a Christian for many, many years, and I remember my passion for Jesus, and I remember the seasons as it seemed to get busy, and it seems to wane. And then there are times when God got my attention again, and it was renewed. It's a time for reflection on Jesus. That reflection often restores our love for him. Our first love, when we were passionate about Jesus. First of all, a reflection on the journey to Calvary. What did Jesus actually do for me? Jesus went through an horrendous time. Jesus knew what it was to have people that said they loved him and that were close to him. But when the pressure came on, they walked out on him. Even his own closest 12 disciples turned their back upon him. Jesus journey to Calvary. All that he suffered, all that he went through to pay the price for my sin... And I didn't deserve it. I really didn't. Now, I wasn't a bad kid. But I still was a sinful kid. We're born with a sin nature. Some of you might have been real rascals. You might have done some terrible, horrendous things. As a matter of fact, if I asked you to tell me some of the bad things you've done, whoever's sitting by you might decide to go on the other side of the church. (laughs) We wouldn't want to be associated with you. No. But Jesus, not because, you know, I did Lent for all of my life and therefore and all the other legalistic things that were required of me so that I can be good enough that God would accept me. I would never be good enough. It's all because of grace this morning and what Jesus went through on that journey. I want to guarantee you this morning, if you want to refresh your appreciation for what Jesus did for you, if you would find time on a daily basis to analyze and reflect upon what he did, you will appreciate them more than ever before. It's a reflection also on the price of free grace. Now, that's a contradiction. It's what's called an oxymoron. I looked up when that word actually was invented, and it was in 1657 by John Smith, and he defined an oxymoron as subtly foolish. Something that don't make sense. Now, us Sanufis, we're really good at making up stuff that don't make sense, all right? If, we, if I give you some of our lingo, you say, but that's a contradiction. Well, that's what an oxymoron is here, and it's a, it's a reflection on the price of free gift, grace. If it's a price, 
It's not free. Amen? If it's free, there is no price. But the bottom line is this. There is a price, but Jesus paid it. And all to him I owe. If this morning, I'm not volunteering to do this. I'm going to volunteer Pastor Aaron. If this morning, Pastor Aaron met you at the door and he said, I would like for you to give me, and I'm going to write it down there, exactly all that you owe on your mortgage and all that you owe on, in payments on your credit cards and your cars and whatever else you got, and said, I'm going to pay it for you. Would you be excited? Come on now. Would you be excited? You would be excited. Wow, I can't believe that Pastor Aaron would do that. Of course, Pastor Ivan, he's too stingy to do something like that. But Pastor Aaron, he's going to do it for us. Woohoo! You're going to go out and you're probably going to brag about it. And if he did it, he did it simply because of love and compassion. That's what Jesus did for us. Grace is the free gift of God. Is what Jesus did. He paid our penalty. So reflection on uh, the price of free grace. During this time of reflection, for me, it's going to be a reflection on the power of his death and his resurrection. How many of you have stood by a graveside and you took a mama or a papa or a mother or a father or a sister or a brother who knew Jesus but they passed away and you put that casket down into the ground and you walked away and they covered it up but because of the death and the resurrection, the resurrection is very important, because of the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my mom, I'm going to see her again. Your mother, you're going to see her again. Your loved one, you're going to see them again. Because Jesus died for us on the cross of Calvary. He, and he was buried in the ground. And on the third day, he resurrected. And my Bible tells me there's going to be a tremendous resurrection one day. When every single one of our loved ones, my sister who died at 41 years of age, we're going to see her come from that grave. And the Bible says that we're going to meet them in the air. And that's because of Jesus this morning. Isn't that a wonderful thing to reflect upon? Amen. The resurrection of Jesus. And then lastly, reflection on who we are in Christ because of his death. We sang it this morning. I am a, say it for me. I am a. Oh, you're, you're as shy as these kids this morning. I am a child of God. I meant to do it, and I forgot it. I meant to bring over my passport, and I was going to show it to you. I said, this is my document. This tells me that I am a citizen of Canada. I am Canadian. But according to Paul, that doesn't matter. Because Paul said, uh, this is just a temporary citizenship. Amen? 
My citizenship is in heaven. And all, it wasn't there always, but there was a day that I gave my heart and my life to Christ. And the Bible says that God took my name and he wrote it down in the Lamb's book of life. My citizenship changed from Canadian to heaven. Amen? I am a child of God. Uh, this world is temporary, but I will live for all eternity with him. So it is a reflection, a time of reflection upon Jesus. Secondly, this morning, Lent is a time of reflection on ourselves. Yeah, that's as important and might even be more important than the first one. In our time alone with Him, in our time of reflection, it will become a moment of soul-searching. You can't get close to God without seeing our short, your shortcomings. I can't. You can't. It's kind of like a reflection in the mirror. How many of you looked in the mirror before you left this morning? How many looked in the mirror? How many didn't look in any mirror? You don't need to raise your hand. I could, I could tell. <laughs> a reflection in the mirror. But not the mirror that's in the house. Because the mirror that I have in my house only shows me what's outside. It doesn't tell, show everything about me. It doesn't show everything about you. It doesn't show what's in your heart, what's in your mind. But it's a reflection into God's Word, the mirror of God's Word, as I think as James calls it, a mirror. When you look into the mirror, what do you see? There's the natural versus the supernatural. I almost wanted to. I'm game to do it, but I just didn't seem to be game enough this morning because I could do anything to make a point. I almost wanted to get up and when I had my shower and I brushed, you know, my hair and got it dry, just leave it like it was and it would be like this. And come here with my hair in a awful state and uh, stand there and say, oh, I forgot to look in the mirror. But I would have too many questions between entrance and sermon time <laughs> that I would have to answer. Mirrors serve a purpose. What do you see when you look into the supernatural mirror? Look into God's Word. Do you see the beauty that Jesus sees? No. When we look into a natural mirror, we see all the flaws. Someone looks in the mirror. You looked in the mirror this morning and said, Oh, what I wouldn't give to have a smaller nose. Or you looked into the mirror, you saw all your defects that are not really defects, but to us they are. When you look into a natural mirror, you see, when we look sometimes into the supernatural mirror, it is there that God does two things. First, he shows us the beauty in us that he sees. Amen? He really does. You only have to read Psalm 139. If you're having a bad day, if someone has criticized you and you look into the mirror and you can only see what they said that is really not true, you will be demoralized. 
But if you ever feel that, I'll give you one chapter in the Bible to read, Psalm 139. If you have insecurities because of what people have said about you and they've put you down, they made you feel ugly, they did all kinds of things, if you would read Psalm 139, you will see what God says about you, what Jesus says about you. Amen? And it's powerful. I encourage people when I've ever preached on Psalm 139 toward in sermon the next time that you look into a mirror not out of self-pride, but when you look into the mirror, you say, awesome. Whoa. Because that's what God says. Amen? It really is. We look into a natural mirror to see if we are presentable, secondly. And looking into the supernatural mirror, we may not like what we see. We may not be presentable. We, we probably will not be. Not may not. We will not be. Can I say this morning, anytime that you really have an encounter with God and you see God, you will be like Isaiah. I think it was Isaiah who said, woe was me. Woe, woe is me. I am a man undone. I am a man of unclean lips. The moment that you are exposed to the ultimate glory of God, it's an, an illumination that shows everything that's within us. And Isaiah was basically saying, I'm done. It's over. That's what he was saying. This is it. Man, I, I don't stand a chance. But then God, it says in the Bible, sent an angel, and the angel took a coal from off the altar of God. And what does it say? It touched his lips. Why his lips? I think that's the root of sin is right here. It all starts here. It's our communication. And God touched him. And then after that, he was qualified to answer the call. I'll go. Wow. Psalm 139 is a good one for you and I to practice at the last two verses, 23 and 24, where the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me. How many are married here this morning? Huh? Got a question for you. Have you ever had the courage? Because it takes courage to do this. Have you ever had the courage to say to your spouse, do I have any flaws? Is there, can you point out what, what, what's wrong in me? And that's the start of a good fight, right? <laughs> you know, to be, you know, honey, be totally honest with me because I want to make sure that I'm all that I should be. I don't know if I've ever done that with my wife. I don't know if I ever had the nerve to do it. Soul searching time. When we come before God, so Lord, I might have an opinion on myself it probably is not going to come close to lining up with yours. Search me. Point out what's wrong in my life. Now, this soul searching is not coming before God and saying, God, uh, show me what's wrong with my wife. 
Actually, I did a fast a few years ago, and I shared that with my congregation once, and I think I mentioned the air one time. I was going through a season of a fast uh, starting into the new year, and I was allowing God to search my heart, and I wanted God to fix something. I wanted him to fix my wife. I really did. And guess what God said? You are the problem. You have this anger within you at this moment all over something that actually doesn't measure up. And I left. I was here at the church, and I left, and I went home. I said, honey, I said, uh, I want you to sit down for a second. I guess she was getting scared, didn't know what was coming. And she sat down, and honey, I said, I have to apologize to you. And the reason I'm apologizing, I didn't see it before, but God showed it to me that I was angry with you since our last trip that summer before to Newfoundland over something that she wouldn't do and my daughter's daughter wouldn't do either in regard to what I wanted to do that was very important to me. And you had no right to be angry because they didn't want to do it. And I told her I was mad with you for all this time. I don't mean every day super mad, but I'm just saying it was there in my spirit. And I couldn't let it go. And God said, you have to let it go. You are the problem. As we come to our time of soul searching, it's not about others. It's about us this morning. Make it about you. The New International Reader's Version puts it this way. God, see what is in my heart. Know what is there. Test me. Know what I'm thinking. See if there's anything in my life you don't like and help me to live in a way that is always right. So it's that time of soul searching for you and I. And because of what our reflection in God's mirror reveals, we come to our next point and it will happen. Lent is a time of repentance and renewal and restoration. If we practice Lent in a right spirit, we will see things in our lives that are, are, are not pleasing to God and God will deal with it and it will lead to that time like I did in that fasting of repentance. I'm sorry, Lord, that I was angry with my wife and blaming her all of this time. Lent is a time of repentance, first of all. And as an example of these three, I'm going to take you to someone very awesome who God said he had a heart after him. But it's David and his sin with Bathsheba. If you do, do not recall what David did, he looked over his uh, rooftop one night and down under deck down below was his neighbor and she was bathing and he began to crave after her and he tried to come up with a scheme that he can get her. And actually he did get her into his house. He had sex with her and, and then she became pregnant and now he needed to cover his sin. So... Bathsheba's wife, our husband, I'm sorry, was at war. So he said, I got to get him home as fast as I can so that I can cover my tracks. And he will be with his wife. And he guaranteed he's been away. He comes back home. He's going to want to be intimate with his wife. So therefore, the time frame is going to be questionable. And no one would ever suspect me. 
And he got him back. But you see, he came back and he was so committed to King David that he wouldn't go home to his wife. He came to the palace. He was at the door. He was knocking on the palace. So uh, uh, David brought him in. And what did David do? David got him drunk. Then he figured now he'll go home for sure. And so, but he stayed outside the gate. He never, ever went with his wife. And then he went back to the war game. Hmm. David had another plan. This is pretty devious, isn't it? David said, okay, I'm going to send orders to my captain, and I'm going to tell him that the next time you are in battle, put this man at the front of the battle, and when they start to attack, everybody withdraw. What's going to happen? Here's my chance. He'll be taken out. And then I will just marry his wife. And that's what happened. David thought he was going to get off with it, but then one day in his time with God, God sent along one of his servants. Nathan came to confront him with his sin. And we read here in verse 3 of Psalm 51, For I am aware of all I have done wrong." This is his repentance. My guilt is there staring me in the face. I know that I have sinned. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and guilt stared back at you in the real mirror? You've been guilty of something. You did something wrong. And you've been trying to hide it, but every time you look in the mirror, you see yourself and you see guilt written all over your face. Ever been there? Come on now, I have. With guilt stared back at you. Distractions keeps sin's guilt at bay. As long as I'm distracted, I don't have to spend time with God. I don't have to spend time in His presence. I'm not going to feel guilty for my sin. But then when I do make time, it's pretty difficult to look into God's mirror and not see myself. Have you ever read a scripture in the Bible and you said, man, I wish I didn't read that tonight? Come on, now you read something and it spoke volumes to you. Wow. Though unconfessed sin does not negate our salvation, it does hinder God hearing our prayers. Very clear in Scripture. We are saved by grace, grace alone, not grace plus. For many, that's what Lent is. It's grace plus or no grace at all. It's just, you know, what I do, my works, so that I can qualify to become a child of God and go to be with Him. Uh, not grace plus, but sin disqualifies us from being a vessel that God can use. 2 Timothy 2 and 20 to 21 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of good gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, the dishonorable ones, he will be a vessel for honor and sanctified and useful for the master. It doesn't affect my salvation, but it does affect my usefulness. The modern English version says, fit for the master's use. If us men, when special guests were coming to our house, had the opportunity to sit at the table, there would be some questionable utensils there. Have you ever done it? You said, that's good enough. 
and your wife said, that's not fit to put down for these people. Not, you know, we're not using that word them come, oh, honey, don't be so silly. They're only normal, just like the ordinary people like us. No, you're not putting that on the table. It's not fit. Hmm. We can become unfit for the master's use. So let me sum up that in one word. Unqualified. We don't qualify for the master to use us. Then there is a time of renewal. Psalm 51 and 10, we see again, David said, after he admitted his sin, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I have a wrong spirit. I've had a bad spirit. I've done some horrible things, but God create in me again today a clean heart and renew within me. A right spirit. And then there's the one of restoration. A time of restoration. I love this. In, uh, in that same psalm, you go back to verse 8 and you go ahead to verse 12. David said, oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So Lent this morning is a time of reflection, a time of repentance. And I close with this. Lent is a time of sacrifice. But why? Sacrificial Lent adds nothing to the value of our salvation. I want you to make sure it's got nothing to do with helping us qualify to go to be with Jesus. That happened to me back in 1970. Uh, I think it was in 1970, in the fall of the year, I still see the old church. I still see myself going to the altar when that old gentleman who got a little hyper sometimes almost beat the back off me out of excitement. I went to the altar and he came up, oh, glory, and he hit me on the back. I almost flat me on the altar. Woo. But I remember the night when Jesus came into my heart and Jesus came into my life. And I know that from that day to this day, I have sinned many times. I've fallen short of God's glory, but I never lost my salvation. My name is written permanently in the book of life. And God knows that I'm saved. He knows that you're saved this morning. So it's not grace plus, folks, for it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did or I got to add it in our mind or can do right now could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift of God that brought us to Christ, for no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward of good works or human striving. So it's not adding to grace this morning. I'm already saved. Though it adds nothing to the value of our salvation, it sure adds value to our relationship with Christ. See, David was unqualified. And when he repented, he was once again qualified. Amen? And I want to be qualified this morning. This is not to be a legalistic approach. Though through or original lint, uh, sorry, though original lint may have been grounded somewhat in legalism or at its legalistic bent, true lint is free from all means of legalism. 
I read a powerful, powerful quote this week. It said, God is not looking for you to approach him systematically, but he's looking for you to approach him sincerely. It's not a rigid ritual. One of my heroes of the faith is Smith Wigglesworth. He was an amazing man of God. He was a powerful man of God. During his time of ministry, there is actually recorded in history that he actually prayed over uh, uh, close to 26 or 28 people that were literally dead and raised them from the dead. That's a pretty powerful testimony. And I read something that Smith Wigglesworth said one day that I never forgot. Smith Wigglesworth said, I never pray longer than 15 minutes, but I never go longer than 15 minutes without praying. Wow. I don't mean every 15 minutes he goes into his room. I'm talking about on a daily basis, he walks with God. You know, at my age right now, I'm starting to like naps. Actually, I'm starting to love naps. And every time I go in for a nap, I'm actually not napping for quite a while. Because as soon as I get on the bed and put my head down, it's just me and God. I'm talking to him for a while. And eventually I fall asleep praying. It's a, it's a casual relationship. It's not this rigid thing that you have to do. But on a casual basis, I'm driving along in the truck when I'm by myself, even sometimes when my wife is there and my mind is upon God. I'm reflecting upon Him. John 4 and 23 says, For ere, from here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but the right heart. That's what that quote was talking about. For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshipers who will worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. Sincere worship is what he longs for. As Aaron and the team comes back. I'm sorry, as the team comes back, Aaron, you can, you can come up or you can stay there, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Phil 48 fasts. He referred to the scripture this morning. As you get that time alone in reflection with God, this is a good source. Finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth. I'm quoting the voice translation. Meditate. On whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy. You won't find that on Facebook. You won't find that watching the news. You won't find that on the internet. You won't find that reading the paper. Not that there's anything wrong with any of these things, but they distract us and they distract our focus. And I love in this translation, verse 9, listen to what Paul said there. Keep to the script. Keep your focus on these things. Keep to the script. Whatever you learn, you learn and received and heard and saw in me, do it and the God of peace will walk with you. 
you. Wherever you go, you're walking through the storm, and the God of peace is what? He will walk with you. He will be there, there in your darkest hour. He will be there in your most difficult moment. He will always be there with you. The old songwriter said, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. But people get surprised when, you know, and I say, you know, I spend my time and I'm talking with God, and they say, yeah, that's okay. But then I said, and he talks with me. How do you hear the voice of God? I don't have time for that this morning. But I do know his voice. He walks with me. Lend a time of reflection. I'm going to draw an illustration I just came across this week between coronavirus and Lent. What have coronavirus got to do with Lent? This is from a, a blog by Dr. Timothy Tennant. He's the president of Osbury Theological Seminary, the one where we see that revival is happening. And he's the president today there. And he makes an amazing connection between corona, coronavirus and Lent. Wow. The word he said corona has its origin in Latin, and it means crown. You probably didn't know that I didn't. It means crown. So the virus is called corona because when viewed under a microscope, it actually looks like a thorny crown. That's why they called it corona. This is how the name came for coronavirus, corona. It looks like a crown, not just a crown, but a thorny crown. So he said, when you read the gospel accounts and events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, the Roman soldiers mockingly place a thorny crown on Jesus because of the accusation that he claimed to be king of the Jews. The thorny corona on Jesus' head, he said, was symbolic of his self-denial and sacrifice. It offers a dramatic picture of Jesus, the true king who embraces our brokenness. So while the world today is obsessed with the thorny crown virus, as Christians, let us be obsessed with our Savior who wore a crown of thorns to give us eternal life. Isn't that amazing? I never ever thought it. I could even think of that in that context. So I leave this with you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his corona. Take up his corona. Take up his cross and follow me. And you will find if you do that, you will experience the smirt and the pain of the thorns and the cross. Are we willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him? The Amplified puts it this way. It says deny ourselves. The Amplified says disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests. And follow Jesus. Jesus in the garden said, not my will. Not my will, Lord.
at that moment, he was saying, if it's possible, if it's possible, I, my preference will be right now to let it pass. But then he said, that's my desire, my will right now. That's how I feel. But yours be done. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning. I never thought I would ever be preaching a sermon on Lent. But I thank you this morning, Lord, that I can join now in this season and I can take some time to focus upon you, what you did for me, and then upon what you ask of me, what you expect me to do. And I pray for every one of us that are here this morning. We all have a will. We all have desires, human will of the flesh. But Lord, that you will help us to deny ourselves and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amber is going to lead us in our closing song and close in prayer this morning. But I'd like for her to be able to do it this way. As we are heading into Lent, some of us, we've already admitted it, we've never done it before. You might have been hesitant and maybe I'm trusting my sermon. Encourage you that we can do this from a proper perspective. That if you want God's blessing upon you, starting this Wednesday, that you're going to make your sacrifice to show God the passion that you have for Him. That I'm going to ask if we could close around this altar. Actually, I'm going to ask Pastor Aaron to come back at the end of the song and pray that blessing upon you this morning. Amen? That God will bless you. That God will strengthen you. You have to leave this place. You've got two, two days to say, Lord, what can I do for Lent? You're not going to be surprised by mine at all. What is the biggest sacrifice that this pastor could make? What could he give up for Lent? Uh, uh, what was that? Sweets. I told someone the other day that we eat meals wrong. I said the main course should be the dessert and the rest follow after if there's any room left. I love my sweets. It's the art biggest sacrifice that I can make. But I, not only am I giving up sweets for Lent, but I'm going to give up sugar. Anything with sugar in it is not going to go in my body for Lent. As my sacrifice to God. To prove my commitment to Him. Amen? Yours could be, you know, there's so many things you could sacrifice. For some of you, you could sacrifice social media would blow you away. You can't do it. What? I can't do 40 days without Facebook. That's, your, that's a cue for your sacrifice. So many things that you can do to make a sacrifice for Lynn. It doesn't even have to be food. But I pray that God will bless you in this lengthened season. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.